and way in our life today. Matthew chapter number 7, <coughs> excuse me, the Bible says in verse 21, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. He that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. Watch verse 23. The Bible says, And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your word this morning. And Lord, I pray that we would read this as it is, the quick and living and true, powerful word of God. And I pray that we will see this morning this is not a fairy tale. Father, what we're reading about is something that will come to pass and, Lord, soon come to pass. I believe we're getting ever so much closer to it. And I pray this morning you would, Lord, show the lost their need for salvation. Lord, they would not hear those dreaded words, depart from me. And for those that are saved today, I pray we'd be challenged, Lord, by the message this morning. I believe you have something equally as important for all of us today, and I pray we'd receive that. Holy Spirit, I pray your will be done in the service today, for it's in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, if I could say there is one positive thing <clears throat> that has come out of the last six months, and uh, you kind of have to look hard, don't you, to find something positive that has come out of the last six months. But if there's one thing that I think that has probably come out of the last six months that's been a good thing is that our circumstances have made people seek out solutions. You think about it this morning. Obviously, we are seeking out right now a solution for this virus. We're seeking out a cure. I know Russia says they found something, but uh, if it's all right with you, I think I'm going to wait till the American doctors come up with something before I go get poked with something from the Russian doctors. But we're seeking a solution for the sickness. Uh, right now in our country, we're seeking a solution for the division that we have in our country right now and all of the turmoil with that. And we're seeking solutions for how to function and go on about with normal life in the face of all of the adversity that we're facing. And our society, people in general, they're seeking solutions. But one thing I've noticed over the past six months, and it's only grown exponentially the longer we have been in this, is that people are searching for solutions and answers that are much deeper than a vaccine for this virus. The more I begin to speak with people and answer phone calls and get text messages, uh, not just from church members, but from preachers and pastors alike, you, tell, you can tell that the people of God and even the lost world are seeking for deeper solutions to the answer to the greater needs that plague us. Now, oftentimes, I'll be honest with you, I'm just like the average Joe. I'm satisfied with very temporal solutions. I mean, I'm an American. Uh, and Americans, we can fix anything. You give us enough duct tape uh, and clothes hangers and spray foam insulation, and we can fix just about any problem that we have. And usually I'm satisfied with simple solutions that will pacify. But I don't know about you, over the time of this prolonged season of distress that we've been in, I have found that my usual shallow solutions are not going to cut it. Usually when we face adversity, I don't know about you, but I'm an American. I'm an American man. I am full of pride. And when I run into adversity, I just have sheer willpower. I'm going to grunt it out. When I go through times of insufficiency, oftentimes I can find something that makes me happy and pacifies me. When I go through times of uncertainty, oftentimes I find if I'll just ignore it, it will go away. But can I tell you something personal about myself this morning? 
In the past six months, as we've gone through this time of adversity, I have found personally that my willpower and my optimism were not enough. I have found as we go through this time of insufficiency that the creature comforts that often pacify us. That as we go through this time and we feel insufficient and we're searching for answers, <coughs> excuse me, oftentimes if we just have some more money or we just have bigger and better possessions, that will pacify us. But I have to tell you that as we've gone through the last six months together, there has not been a creature comfort. There's not been an amount of money. There's not been a possession that could pacify the insufficiency that I have felt going through this time of difficulty. Even in times of adversity and uncertainty, I've tried to ignore the circumstances that we've been going through. You try to ignore uh, the effects of the virus. You try to ignore uh, the, 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 what's going on in the news with all of the division in our country. And you try to ignore it, but I'll be honest with you, six months, you can't ignore it. It's going to come to your door. No matter if you watch the news or you get off of social media. And I have found that during this past difficult season we've gone through, that most of my temporal solutions have not been enough. And that I've needed something more to get through this difficult time. I think if we're all honest this morning, if we're all honest, we would admit this season that we've gone through this last six months, that we have found even our most optimistic ideals challenged. And we have found the most strongest willpower challenged. And we have realized that the season that we're going through requires so much more than usually we have. I was at the dentist this past week, and I go in and they, I fill out the paperwork, and you know they always like to get paid uh, before they do the work. And uh, I don't know if they don't trust me or what it is, but they always want me to pay them, Brother Nate. I just guess I have that face that they don't trust. And I sign the paper and say, before you pay, would you like to have that laughing gas? But the question is, if I would like to have it, of course I would like to have it. I mean, who doesn't like their toes to tingle every once in a while, legally, amen, legally? And I tell them, no, no, I don't think I'm going to need it. It's $50 extra, and I'm thinking, you know what, I'm just man enough and American enough that I can just grunt through the pain. And so I've never needed it before, and so I'm not going to need it now. And I go back there, and I was sitting in the chair, and I was having work done on my front teeth. And uh, he, you know how they always keep the needle behind their back before they get you with it? You ever notice that? That's so sweet of them, and I appreciate that very much. He walks up, and he says, all right, open up, and he's got it behind his back. I know what he's got, but I still don't look anyway. He comes around, and he sticks that needle in my upper gum. And I'm sitting there, and I'm kind of just kind of squirming a little bit. And you know you can only back into that chair so far. I am backing up and backing up, and I'm breaking out in a sweat. And about the time I felt that needle poking the back of my eyeball, I began to think, you know what, maybe I should have got the laughing gas. I was thinking, good night, I've never needed it before. I've just grunted it out, and my willpower was enough, and my, you know, my patriotism as an American was enough. But, man, I began to wonder, whoo, maybe I should be rethinking this a little bit. And uh, he told me, he says, listen, you got to be still. I'm going to have to chase you. I'm like, chase you? There's nowhere I can go. you got me backed up against a chair, and you're poking my eyeball with that thing. But I was seriously thinking my, rethinking my decision of whether or not I needed that. You see, my circumstances challenged my resolve. My circumstances challenged my willpower. 
My circumstances challenged what I thought was enough, and I began to wonder whether or not I had enough. And I want you to know spiritually the last six months, I believe for all of us, has burned through our temporal decisions and solutions. The last six months has challenged our willpower, and we've come to the conclusion willpower is not going to be enough. The last six months has challenged even the most great of optimists that are among us this morning. And we've realized that willpower and creature comforts and ignoring the problem is not going to be good enough. And we have all found ourselves, I just believe this, we have all found ourselves searching for something to make a difference in our lives during this time. I believe both the lost and saved have struggled with this. I uh, asked Brother Nate the other day, he was uh, getting settled in, and he says, what's, what's something you'd like me to do and get on right now? I says, I want you to go, and I want you to find us a good counseling training program. I said, I've seen a spike in the need for counseling lately. Listen, I'm not talking about bad folks. I'm talking about folks that are struggling. Listen, I believe there's more that admit it, by the way, that are struggling spiritually as we go through these times because we have found the normal temporal solutions are not enough. Willpower is not going to be enough. Who knows what the next six months hold, particularly if this election doesn't go the right way. Who knows what we're going to face? Who knows before long when it comes from California, it always starts there and makes its way here, that Central Baptist Church has a cease and desist order on our door. Who knows what we're going to go through? And I want you to understand this morning, those temporal solutions of willpower and optimism and creature comforts and trying to ignore adversity, it's not going to cut it. You're going to have to have something more to make up the difference in your life. And I want you to know this is very, very personal to me. I haven't been immune to this. I told you the other day, there was a time the other day I was so worn out spiritually, I didn't even feel like preaching on Sunday morning. I told my wife, I don't feel like preaching. Dealing with the adversity and the insufficiency and the uncertainty of our circumstances had burned through all of my temporal solutions that I sometimes will rely on. And I found out that I was not enough. And yet when it was all said and done, when all of my temporal solutions were gone, when the willpower of Jeremiah Andrews was gone, when the optimism of Jeremiah Andrews was gone, when all the creature comforts that we try to substitute and bring us happiness in this time, when they did not cover it, they, I found a single sustaining hope that kept me going. I found one thing that made the difference in my life in this time of adversity. And I'm so confident of this one thing this morning, I want to share it with you. Whether you're here this morning and you're lost or even if you're saved this morning, there's a single sustaining hope that's the only thing that's going to get you through what we're going through right now. Now hear me out, and I'll get into the message. If you're lost this morning, this one thing that I'm going to share with you will determine your eternity. This one thing. The only thing that's going to make the difference when you stand before God is this one thing that I'm going to show you this morning, this single thing. And then if you're saved this morning, can I tell you, it's the very same thing that's going to guarantee your spiritual survival. Without this one thing, you will not survive what we're facing right now. I'm so confident in this one thing, that's the only thing I'm going to share with you today. I'm going to share with you my title, and my title is the one point I'm going to share, and that is simply this, the decision that makes the difference. 
There's one decision that you have to make that's going to make the difference. And I want to show it to you this morning if we could. Look down back in, in Matthew 7. And let's look down together in verse 22. The Bible says, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? In thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. But watch verse 23. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Now, if you know your Bible, and I'm assuming most of you do, this place is right here we're discussing is the great white throne of judgment. This is the last place that the lost will stand before God as they are judged right before they are banished to eternity in the devil's hell. The Bible says Jesus is going to give the verdict. By the way, the verdict has been decided once they draw their last breath. And the verdict is this. I never knew you. Now I want you to know this. Notice this this morning. Notice the difference. When they stood at this place and they stand before God, and what a frightening place that will be, one of the most fearful sights in all of eternity, is to stand before the great white throne of the judgment knowing that that's the last stop before you are cast into a devil's hell. But notice where the verdict came from. What was it that made the difference? Jesus says, I never knew you. That was the one difference that made the difference for those that will not get to spend eternity in heaven with God. The decision was simply this. Notice what he did not say. He did not say, depart from me because you were a bad person. He did not say, depart from me because you never went to church. He didn't say that. He didn't say, depart from me because you were never baptized. He says, depart from me because I never knew you. Now, focus in on that word, knew. It's very, very important. The Greek word for knew is gnosko. It means to understand, but here's what's interesting. You mean, wait a minute, how can people die and go to hell? Because there's a lot of people, most people in the world today, they know who Christ is. They've heard of Christ, or maybe folks who sat in a church. How could someone die and go to hell who sat in a church? Because they knew or they understood who Christ was. But you keep reading in the definition of that word new. And you look back and you'll find that one of the first places it's mentioned is in Luke chapter 1, verse 34. Let me tell you what it says. The angel tells Mary, Mary, you're going to have a child. And Mary says this. She said, how can these things be? How can I be having a child seeing that I know not a man? Same word, gnosko. Now, Mary's not saying, I don't know a man. Surely Mary knew men. She knew a lot of men. She understood and recognized there were men in her city. She's not saying, I did not understand a man. She says, I did not know a man. You know what Mary is saying? Mary is saying, I did not have a relationship with a man. Now, hear me out this morning. Those that stand rejected of God are refused simply because they have a lack of relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. Can I tell you what's going to make the difference for those, listen, when you die and draw your last breath in this life, the only thing that's going to make a difference is whether or not you made the decision to have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the only thing that's going to matter. Out soul winning and out and about town talking to people about their soul. I'll ask them if you died right now, are you certain that you're going to heaven? And it's amazing the answers you will get. They'll say yes. As a matter of fact, here in the South, most people do say yes. You better follow up on it when you ask them that. Ask them why. 
And they say, well, you know what? I was a good person. Well, the Bible says there's none good. No, not one. Not the preacher, not the priest, not grandma, not grandpa. There are none that are good. I'll have some say, well, I went to church. No, the Bible says it's not of works. There's no way we can work our way to heaven. The only thing that will make the difference when we stand before God is that we made the decision in this life to have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says in verse 23, I never knew you. Do you know there's a lot of people this morning who know the person of Jesus but don't know him personally? Do you know, I bet many of you know television personalities, right? You know television, you watch television, or maybe athletes, or maybe uh, elected officials. You know the person, but you don't know them personally. You know, I know Donald Trump. I, I know who he is. You show me a picture, I mean, with a hairdo like that. I mean, how can you miss Donald Trump? He's easy to spot. He's a tall guy. I know Donald Trump, but I don't know him personally. Can I tell you this morning, you may know of Christ, but it's a difference to know the person of Christ and not know Christ personally. And the only thing that's going to make the difference when we stand before God is that we had a personal relationship with Christ. Think about Judas this morning. Jesus, Judas knew the person of Jesus. Judas spent time with Jesus. Judas walked with Jesus. Judas ate with Jesus. Judas spent all of his time with him, and he knew the person of Jesus. But he did not know Jesus personally. And he died and he went to hell. And one day Judas will stand, it's verse 23, and he will stand in front of that great white throne, and he'll be banished to an eternity in the lake of fire. Why? Because he did not have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, and that's the only thing that will make the difference. Folks, be careful this morning adding anything to the shed blood of Jesus Christ and what he did for you on the cross of Calvary. If we could add anything to it that says what he did was not enough. It's the blood of Christ and nothing else. Hebrews 9.22, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission. There's none. It was the shedding of blood that did it. It was the blood of Christ that did it. His death, his burial, his resurrection, it was all what he did and nothing what I do. And I, listen, thank God, have the privilege to have a personal relationship with him because he's not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. I think about the thief on the cross, and oh my goodness, you talked about squeezing it in there at the last minute. Thief on the cross, he's a thief. He's paying for the crimes that he's committed, and yet in that moment he leans over to Christ, and he says, remember me, remember me. You know what he did? He decided, you know what, before I exit this life, I, get, I want to have a relationship with that man. And Jesus says, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. I mean, at the last moment, at the 11th hour, he had a relationship with Christ. And he's in heaven with him today. Now, folks, the difference that's going to make it for all of us this morning is whether or not you decided to have a personal relationship with him. I remember when uh, I, I hate to use the word fall in love because when you fall, it's usually a bad thing. Uh, so I like to use the term when I was led into love. Amen. The Lord led me into love. And when I met my, my future wife, you know, I thought she was beautiful. And uh, <clears throat> they say all the time, uh, beauty's not everything. Well, it may not be, but it's something. Amen, husbands. Boy, you missed it right there. You're going to be eating out today. It's not everything, but it's something. I tell, I tell young couples all the time, can you imagine, you know, going up to your future wife and saying, look, you're not beautiful, but I love you anyway. No, that's not going to work out too well. I was attracted to her beauty first. 
All right, I'm just be honest with you. That's what I, I didn't know her personality. I mean, you said, well, she has a wonderful personality. Of course she does, but I found that out after I was attracted to her, all right? And I thought she was beautiful, and uh, actually it was my dad. I have to give my dad credit. My dad was the matchmaker. My dad came to me at camp July of 2004, and he says, what do you think about Leslie? I said, well, she's, you know, she's pretty. But I was shy. I was bashful, believe it or not. Some of you don't believe that. I was bashful. I was shy. And uh, so I got to talk with her in the dining hall and talk with her out on the Bible clubs we were doing and whatnot. But, man, here comes toward the end of camp. Friday's rolling around. She's just fixing to go back in that helicopter back to Monroe, Louisiana. And uh, my heart begins to race, and I think she's about to leave. And, man, I, I really just, I'm really hoping she'll come up to me and talk to me. I mean, look, this is the 2000s, right? You know, the woman can be forward. No, not really. Be careful when the doe chases the buck. That's unnatural, Okay. And so I decided, you know what, if I'm going to have a relationship with her, i got to talk to her. I just kind of feel that's part of a relationship, right, talking to them. And I remember we're up there on the front deck of the, the missionary cottage where we live, and we're just kind of sitting there on the porch. And I was really wanting to ask her if she was interested in me, and I wanted to go talk to her dad. But before I went talk to her dad, I wanted to find out if she was interested first. It would be kind of embarrassing to go talk to her dad and say, I'd like to talk to your daughter about getting to know her better. And he says, I don't have a problem with it, but she doesn't like you. And so I decided, you know, just to test the water with her first. And so we're sitting, amen, Brother Bolt, I appreciate that. It encourages me. I'm sitting there on the front porch, and I'm trying to think, how do we get into this? Look, I'm not a romantic. I didn't learn those pickup lines you guys learned back in the 70s, you know. You must be tired, been running around in my mind all day, or it hurt when you fell from heaven, you know. I didn't learn any of those things. And so I said, I'm just, and so I looked at her, and I said, you want to go feed the fish? <laughs> That's all I had, Brother Nate. That's all I got. We had, a, we had a pond right down there below and had a beautiful covered bridge. And I said, we'll go down there and feed the fish. And so I had a loaf of bread and I'm tearing off that bread and throwing it in the water and throwing it in the water. And man, my heart, my palm, I didn't know what it meant for your palms to sweat until that day. Boy, I began to realize what that meant, man. I, I'm just kind of, I'm like, come on, just let it happen. You know, this golden light shined down from heaven and she looks at me and says, I love you. But it just didn't happen that way. Finally, I threw my last piece of bread, and I just says, look, I was not a romantic, all right? I was romantic in my head. I was smooth in my head. Man, was I smooth. I read these Hallmark cards. I was prepared. And I looked at her, and I says, look, I enjoyed getting to know you this week, and I'd like to get to know you a whole lot better. But before I talk to your dad, what do you think about it? Remember that? Matter of fact, I even wore my helicopter cufflinks this morning when I thought about it. She looked at me, and she says, I think that'd be a good idea. I would have been crushed if she said no. I mean, can you, what would I have done? I'd have jumped in the pond. I'd have jumped in the pond, swam away, and never come back. But can I tell you the relationship? Here we are, 15 years later, been married, happily married, and I'm so thankful for my godly wife. Can I tell you where that relationship came from? I had to be willing, and she had to be willing to accept me. I went to her and I says, look, I like you and I want to get to know you better. And she accepted me and now we've been happily married. Can I tell you that's where relationships begin? Relationships begin with a request. A request is made. Do you know some of you are on social media? And, uh, you know, on social media, on, uh, you have Instagram and you have Facebook mainly. And you get friend requests, Right. And that's how your relationships begin or are rekindled a lot of times. You get a friend request. That's how it begins. Someone reaches out to someone else. And can I tell you how you have a relationship with Christ? It's not because of who we are. 
It's because he loved us enough to request a relationship with us. The Bible says that if he be lifted up, he would draw all men unto him. That means he desires to have a relationship with us. Nobody has to die and go to hell. But people die and go to hell every day. Do you know why? They did not accept Christ's friend request. He wanted to have a relationship with them. And he drew them. There's not a person in hell today. Not one single person burning in the devil's hell this morning who did not get a friend request from Christ. He desired to have a relationship with them. He knocked on their heart's door and they said no. You see, requests have to be accepted. The relationship I have with Christ today is not because of anything I did. It's because he knocked on my heart's door and I accepted that. He reached out to me. I'll, listen, I'll not stand before the great white throne. Oh, listen, I'll stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And I'll give an account for things done or not done in this life. But can I tell you this morning, I will never see the great white throne of judgment. Why? Because the Lord Jesus Christ extended to me a friend request. And I accepted him. And now I have a relationship with him. And that's what makes the difference in my life. And that's what will make the difference in eternity. John six thirty seven. the Bible says, Him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. Listen, when he draws you and you come to him, he's not going to say no. You're not, listen, you're not going to come to Christ and accept Christ as your Savior. And he say, no, I don't want you. Aren't you glad that he says, whosoever will? The Bible says in verse 22 that many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not? And the Bible says that he will profess, I never knew you. You see, if you refuse this morning to receive his request, matter of fact, I was thinking about this this morning. Uh, my wife asked me this week, she said, did you see what happened to so-and-so on social media? I said, no, I didn't see that. And she said, well, aren't you friends with them? I'm like, of course I'm friends with them. I'm friends with everybody. And I went back on my social media, and I scrolled. And scrolled. I thought, I'm not their friend. I thought, I mean, it kind of shook me a little bit. I was, now, some people I don't want to be friends with. I'm just going to be honest with you. But, you know, I'm scrolling through there, and I look. And they sent me a friend request. But I never accepted it. It's been sitting there idle. Do you know when we don't accept that request for relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, the default is rejection? When God reaches and you don't respond, the default is rejection. And those that are burning in the devil's hell this morning are there because they chose not to accept that request. And God sees that as rejection. I think about Paul or Saul this morning in the New Testament, Saul. Think about Paul, he, or Saul was a persecutor, he was a murderer, he was a scoffer, and yet went on to not only have a relationship with Christ, but is in his presence right now. How could that happen? That a murderer and a persecutor and a scoffer have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, the Bible tells us he was on the road to Damascus one day, and all of a sudden his spiritual friend request came across his heart. Doo-doo. He fell down on his back and looked up toward heaven. And it was there that he accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as his Savior. And can I tell you what made the difference in the Apostle Paul's life? It was his relationship with Christ. You know what made the difference in the woman at the well's life? Her relationship with Christ. You know what made the difference in Zacchaeus, the robber and the thief? Do you know what made the difference in his life? It was his relationship with Christ. If you're here this morning and you've trusted Christ as your Savior, can I tell you what made the difference? It's not because of who your mama or daddy was. It's not because you were born in this church. It's because of your relationship with Christ. He reached out and you received 
his friend request this morning. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will. He says, look, I'm going to knock. I'm going to knock. There's not a soul this morning. He's not going to knock on their heart's door. He's going to knock. The question is, are we going to open the door? The other day, we, uh, someone rang our doorbell. I didn't know who it was. Okay, didn't know who it was, and so I went to the front door. We had that leaded glass in our door. It's hard to see out of leaded glass. It distorts people all the time, and so I'm looking out the door. I can see it's a woman. That's all I could tell is it was a woman because I could see her hair, but I couldn't tell who it was. You know, I wasn't going to open the door just for anybody. She was too tall to be a Girl Scout, so I knew she didn't have cookies, and so I said, I'm just going to wait and see who it is. I kept looking. I couldn't tell who it was, and so finally I did what, what any uh, American man would do. I got my wife to answer the door. I was in sweatpants and a t-shirt, you know, I was like, man, they lose respect for me if they see me in sweatpants and a t-shirt, and so it ended up being Miss Andrea. Uh, she was coming over to give Miley her art lesson, I forgot all about that, but I didn't open the door, and she's standing out there waiting to get in, wondering, man, the preacher just not opened the door, and she knew I was there, because I was like, I can't tell who it is. I didn't know if it was UPS or Jehovah's Witness, I couldn't tell who it was, well, I wasn't about to open the door just yet, and finally, I just told my wife, would you go check and see who it is, and she checked it, she opened it, it was Miss Andrea that was there. You know what? My daughter would have missed out on her art lesson had not somebody answered the door. And as sad as that is to miss out on her art lesson, can I tell you, there are many this morning, maybe some even in this building right now, who will miss out on eternity simply because they didn't open the door. They rejected Christ by not having a relationship with him. Notice what Jesus says in verse 23. I never knew you. He says, depart from me. Verse 23 has to be one of the most frightening verses in all of Scripture. When you hear the voice of Christ, say, depart from me. I never knew you. He's not saying I didn't know who you were. He's not saying that you didn't know who he was. He's saying I never had a relationship with you because I reached out and you never responded. July 8, 1741, Jonathan Edwards preached his famous sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. He preached the verse, he preached the sermon out of Revelation chapter 20, verse 11 through 15, speaking of the great white throne, where the Bible says that he saw small and great stand before him. You see, your social status doesn't matter. Who you were, what you did, what you had is not going to matter. The only thing that makes a difference at that point is relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. He preached on that, and the story goes, he had his message manuscripted. And he had his message so close to his face that people could not even see his face as he read his message, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. The story goes on to say this, that as he read every word, the people were so moved by his words, they gripped the backs of their pews, feeling that the ground below them was about to open up and swallow them into hell. One man rushed down the aisle crying, Mr. Edwards, have mercy. So at that moment, he felt himself as a sinner in the hands of an angry God. And the only hope was a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And he trusted Christ as his Savior. Why? Not because of anything he had done, but because of Christ had done for him. So this morning, what I want us to see this, first off, if you're here and you're lost today, the decision that makes a difference. It's not knowing who Christ is and knowing the person of Christ. It's knowing Christ personally. But now let's get to the saved. I'm thankful this morning I will never stand there. And thankfully, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, the Bible says, Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. Aren't you glad this morning? I'm sealed. Can't lose it. Because if you could lose it, I'd have lost it. Uh, my wife quit buying me pocket knives because I just keep losing them. 
Uh, thank the Lord, I still have my pen. I just want to say that one more time. I still have my pen. I haven't lost it. Four or five years later, I lose a lot of things. And if you could lose your salvation, I'd have lost it. The Bible says I'm sealed unto the day of redemption. But can I tell you something? For the Christian, there is some rough territory between here and the day of redemption. Would we agree there's adversity between here and there? Yeah. Would we agree this morning that there are uncertainties between here and there? Yep. Would we agree this morning there are times of insufficiency between here and there? Yep, absolutely. We find that our willpower and the creature comforts of life and ignoring the problems is not going to go away. So how do we get through all of this? How does the saved person get through all of the troubles and adversities and uncertainties we're going through? Buckle up, hang on, listen close this morning. It's the same thing that makes the difference in your eternity. You see, what makes the difference in your death is the same thing that will make a difference in your life, and that's a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. I looked all throughout Scripture at people who went through adversity. Obviously, Job came to mind. Paul came to mind. Joseph came to mind. Daniel came to mind. Noah came to mind. And I found a common denominator. These people who went through unheard of adversity. And I mean catastrophic uncertainty in their life. And yet they just kept on and kept on and kept on. Do you know what their secret was? Their secret was their relationship with Christ. Now hear me out. This is the last thing I want to share with you this morning. The decision that made the difference in the life of Job was his relationship with his Lord. That's what got him through. It wasn't Job's willpower. There's no willpower on earth that can stand up to losing all of your children. There's no willpower on earth that can stand up to being physically marred. There's no willpower on earth that can stand up against a wife who has betrayed you and friends who have reviled you. There's no willpower that can hold up to that. What got Job through? It was his relationship with his Lord. He said this, Job chapter 13, verse 15, Though he slay me, yet will I trust him, but I will maintain my ways before him. Job says, though he slay me, I don't care what happens, all the way to death, he could kill me, but I'm going to trust him. He says, I will maintain my ways before him. Can I tell you what got Job through? He maintained his relationship with Christ. Please hear this this morning. I have counseled person after person after person after person in the last six months. And can I tell you what the common denominator was? For those who begin to buckle and fold under the pressures of this adversity, can I tell you what the common denominator was? During this time, they've neglected their relationship with Christ. That was it. Your willpower is going to give out. Your optimism is going to give out. And listen, that's a lot coming from me. I'm, listen, the glass is always three quarters full in my life. Not just half full. But your optimism is going to run out. Your willpower is going to run out. Your creature comforts are not going to cut it. Ignoring the problem is not going to do it. And the only thing that's going to sustain you is your relationship with Christ. I'll give you an example. The Bible tells us in John 14, 15, If you love me, keep my commandments. Oh my goodness. What a truth. Watch. If you love me, you know what that is? That's your relationship with Christ. What does it equate? What does a relationship with Christ produce? Obedience. Keeping the commandments. 
Folks, if we get to a place in our walk with God to where all of this adversity and strife and uncertainty begins to buckle us down and we don't feel like we're going to be able to do it, God, I just can't keep going. I can't keep doing. And your obedience gets shaken. It ought to be a red flag to you. My relationship with Christ is not what it ought to be. Because if I love him the way that I'm supposed to love him and my relationship with him is what it should be, listen, I'll be able to keep. You know what that is? That's obedience. I look in the life of several of our heroes in Scripture. Paul is one of them. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14, The love of Christ constraineth me. Do you know the word constraineth means? It means contains. It's Christ's love for him and his love for Christ that held it all together. You ever feel like you can't hold it all together? You ever feel like you're going to go off on somebody? The past couple of months, it's, I've come close. I don't go off on people very often. Uh, I have teeth only when I have to. I told Brother Nate the other day, my box of grace is huge. It really is. It's really huge. You've got to really push the boundaries for my teeth to come out. But I do have some teeth when I have. I've been having a lot of dental work done, okay? So I'll use my teeth when I, I'm going to use them until the Lord comes back. I'll use them if I have to. My goodness, the last couple of months, there have been times where I didn't feel like I could hold it all together. And yet Paul says, here was my secret. The love of Christ constraineth me. The love of Christ, his love for us and our love for him, it holds it all together. I assure you, if your relationship with Christ, if you will maintain that, you will maintain your ways before the Lord, as Job did. We see Daniel real quickly. What was the difference? What made the difference in Daniel's life? How did Daniel just keep going? I mean, Daniel, listen, you're going to be thrown in a lion's den. I mean, you're about to go through it. Listen, folks, we haven't gone through anything right now. Folks in California are starting to go through it right now. We haven't gone through anything, all right? Come on, let's just be honest. It's just been a mild inconvenience compared to what the men and women in Hebrews chapter 11 went through. And yet Paul says, or Daniel, the Bible says, when he was threatened with going through difficult times, what did he do? Listen close. The Bible says, now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house and his windows being opened in his chamber toward Jerusalem. He kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did four times. Daniel says, I'm about to go through difficult times. It's about to get rough. And what did he do? He went in and reinforced his relationship with his God. You know why? Because he knew that was the only thing that was going to sustain him. The only thing that's going to make the difference in your life. I assure you, mark my words, your optimism will run out. Your willpower will run out. Your creature comforts are not going to, I'm just going to go buy a new truck and I'm going to feel better. You might for a little while. But you can't just keep buying new trucks, amen? Sooner or later, the money's not going to do it. The willpower and optimism's not going to do it. And the only thing that will sustain you is your relationship with Christ. I think about Noah. Oh, Noah. Noah was going to go through it, and he was going to go through it near about alone without his family, nobody else there with him. How did Noah do it? How did Noah just keep going in spite of all the persecution, nobody else getting on board? You know what the Bible says about Noah in Genesis chapter 6? The Bible says that Noah walked with God. Noah had the one thing that would make the difference, his relationship with his God. And I assure you that's the only thing that's going to cut it for us now. The only way you're going to survive this adversity is to not just know of the person of Christ, but to know him personally. And then you've got to love him like you're supposed to love him. You know what the Bible says about the church at Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2? What was the criticism that Christ gave his church? He says, you've left your first love. 
You've left that first love. Now, he didn't say that you don't love me. He said you don't love me like you should. Look, I think we'd all agree that love is not all the same. You know, I love donuts. And I love my wife. Surely they're not the same kind of love, right? I mean, there's different kinds of love. There's matter of fact, I told the kids in chapel this week, I was so disappointed in myself. I still don't know this, but last Sunday morning, somebody left a dozen donuts on the hood of my car before we ever left the house. So we got the donuts, took them in the house, and I think it was on Wednesday, we were eating the last of the donuts, and I told my wife, we still don't know who left them here. I mean, if somebody wanted to kill me, all they have to do is leave donuts on the hood of my car. Now we can't eat any more donuts on the hood of my car because uh, some of you folks might want to assassinate me. So my wife, this is sad. We've never about eaten the whole box, and we still don't know where they came from. We raise our daughter better than that. Don't eat food from strangers. We don't even know where it came from. It was on the hood of my car. I love donuts, but surely I love my wife in a different and a better way than I love donuts, of course. Can I tell you, when I find myself faltering, when I find myself buckling, you know what that ought to be a sign? It ought to be a sign that perhaps I don't love Christ the way I should love Christ. When I find it hard to keep his commandments, can I tell you what that ought to be a sign of? That ought to be a sign. That ought to be like the dummy light on our dashboard, you know, when your oil is low or you're low on gas or whatever, buckle your seatbelt. When we have a temptation to not keep the commandments and be obedient, it ought to show us I don't love him like I should. We've been helping Brother Kyle and Miss Kristen in their uh, pre-marriage counsel. We just finished up yesterday and I'm excited about their wedding. And I told him yesterday, I said, you know what? I haven't always loved my wife like I should. I remember when we were, listen, I remember when we were seeing each other. If she said she wanted something, I found it. I'd move the world for it. Whatever I could do. Uh, I mean, sometimes it was expensive, but I, I was going to make it happen. No matter what she wanted, I was going to get it. It was one of those times where you took your coat off and you laid it in the mud and you opened the car doors. You know, you were glad to take out the garbage. <laughs> and now you're like, you know what? Get it yourself. Not right now. I'll get around to it later. And my willingness is not what it used to be. Why? Because there are times our love is just not what it should be. Could we just amen that this morning? We don't love like we should all the time. And you know how we know? Because we're not as willing as we were. Not as willing as we were. I want you to understand something this morning. The decision that makes the difference in the life of the lost, in the life of the saved, is going to be your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. You will not make it ahead of whatever's coming our way in the next few weeks and months and years if the Lord tarries without a relationship with Christ. And this morning, I want to encourage each and every one of us, if you desire to not only survive this, but to go on to be used of God through this, you're going to have to love him like you're supposed to love him. Remember when, I'll give you this, I promise we're going to be done. Do you remember when Peter denied Christ three times? Oh, how a heartache. To deny Christ, the Bible says he went out and he wept bitterly. And after the resurrection, the Bible says in John 21 that Jesus comes along after they've been fishing all the night and they caught nothing. And the Bible says when he comes to the shore where Christ is at, he has the fish prepared. And Christ says to them, Simon Peter, lovest thou me? How many times did he ask him that? How many times did he deny him? He looks at Peter. He says, lovest thou me more than these? He didn't say, Peter, do you love me? He said, do you love me more than these? And then how did Christ go on to say? He says, feed my sheep. 
You see, his love for Christ would be reflected in his obedience to Christ. This morning, my heart breaks for Christians, not only in our church, but in our area and all over the world, who are buckling under the strain of this adversity, this uncertainty, and this time of insufficiency. And can I tell you what it all goes back to? It all goes back to our relationship with Christ. And if your relationship with Christ is not what it ought to be, I assure you, you're not going to make it. The Bible says that there will be many, in verse 22, that say, Lord, Lord. We offer up all of these excuses. But in the end, can I tell you, no excuse will be accepted. Because the only thing that will make the difference is a relationship with Christ. You know, he said here, notice what the excuses were. Have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? Man, these people were busy. But busyness, listen, is not going to replace a relationship with Christ. You know, there are times that I'll get so busy in ministry and it's personal priorities. That's when we get things out of whack. It's my choice. I'll get so busy in ministry, my relationship with Christ will suffer. And you can tell, watch this, my resilience in ministry is going to be based off my relationship with Christ. How well you bounce spiritually is going to be determined by how close you walk with Christ. And I assure you, if you're going to want to work along for Christ, you better walk along with Christ. Because relationship with him is the only thing that's going to make the difference. Now let me ask you this, and I promise we're done. If you're here this morning, you've never trusted Christ. If you're here this morning and you're not sure that if you died right now, you're going to heaven. Your redemption is going to be based on one thing. And that's a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. The Bible says it's not of works. There's nothing we can do. He's done it all. The Bible says many will say, have we not done? It's not what you did. It's what he did. That you can have a relationship with him. But if you're here this morning and you have trusted Christ and you're saved, can I tell you, your resilience in this time of adversity is going to be decided by one thing. And that's your relationship with Christ. And if we've gone through this time of adversity and uncertainty and our spiritual knees begin to buckle, let that be a sign to us that our walk with Christ is suffering a little. Listen, could we cough up our pride for a little while and admit that our walk with Christ is not what it always should be? And when it's not, we're giving place to the devil, and that's where he inserts fear and doubt. So this morning, with our heads bound and our eyes closed, I'm going to ask you this. The question is, will you make the decision this morning that makes a difference? Will you make, and our pianist comes this morning, will you make the decision that's going to make the difference? If you're here this morning and you're not sure that if you died, you're going to heaven, would you make the decision this morning that's going to make the difference? And that decision is to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. He wants you to. The question is, will you respond? You can. If you're here this morning and you're saved, can I ask you this? Have you chosen or made the decision for what's going to make the difference? Your relationship with Christ is the only thing that's going to get you through. I assure you, if you'll love him the way you're supposed to love him, you'll keep all that he's called you to keep. Let's stand to our feet this morning. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Heavenly Father, as we come to you this morning, I thank you for your word. And I thank you, Father, that we have the opportunity, Lord, to trust you as Savior. And I pray that, Father, as you have reached out to some this morning, that they would trust you. And, Lord, for those that are saved, help us to see Lord, we can be busy in your work, but Lord, if we don't have a busy walk with you, we're not going to make it through this time.